The Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Good morning, my dear friends, and come on into the studio of your mind, and welcome to the Healthy Steps Radio Show. I can't thank you enough for keeping your radio dial tuned to WMNF Tampa. Dr. Harvey is joined today by Dr. Whitney Jones, the Senior Medical Director at Grail, a biotechnical company located in, of course, Menlo Park, San Francisco, which seeks to develop early cancer screening tests for people who do not have evident symptoms. If you have any medical questions related to today's topic on cancer and early detection of cancer, you are encouraged to participate by calling 813-239-9663 or sending an email to dj at wmnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. Welcome to the Healthy Steps Radio Show, Dr. Jones. I think that I've warmed up our listeners, so I'll let Dr. Harvey introduce you and start the show. And of course, darn fine good Monday morning to you, Dr. Harvey. So today we're going to talk about the scary beast whose name is only mentioned in whispers, cancer. I think that everyone has some interest in what you both have to say, so the mics are all yours. Take it away. Thank you, Bill, for another wonderful Monday morning introduction. And happy Monday to all my wonderful listeners. Hey, I am so high today, and I don't even need any chemicals to be that way because I just came back from my most amazing uh, uh, seminar, Mindshare uh, uh, Mastermind. Uh, JJ Virgin has put together the most amazing group of go-giving, love-centered professionals that lift up healthcare, lift up each other, and are changing the way healthcare is delivered on this planet. Just a shout out to JJ Virgin and the Mindshare Mastermind Collaborative. Now, I am so excited to introduce Dr. Whitney Jones. This doctor is a clinical doctor like me. He worked in clinical medicine for many years, taking care of patients and helping them get through some of the worst diagnoses because he's a gastroenterologist and he had to find and help people get through colon cancer. And he's spent a lifetime doing this. And in 2021, he joined the Grail team. Grail is such an exciting company. You heard it's in Menlo Park, California. So these people are using artificial intelligence to change the way we look at human health. And this is the most exciting thing because we are just at the tip of the iceberg of AI. Everybody's getting excited about this chat GPT thing. If you haven't heard about it, go look at it. It is so amazing what AI can create with words. But AI is creating new ways to look at cancer. And personally, I've been so frustrated over the years with uh, preventive medicine and the ineffective nature of it and early detection when they, it's just crazy. But Dr. Jones, welcome. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Hey, Fred, it's great to be with you this morning. And uh, particularly after uh, that half an hour of inspirational uh, speeches by Martin Luther King. What a, what, a, what a great way to get a great reset, start your week. Isn't it wonderful? He is so inspirational and transformational. And I think that this test is going to transform the way we deal with looking at cancer. I'm so excited. So you have a product called the gallery test. And it's really interesting. It doesn't use the same kind of technology that we've done. I mean, for years, you know, you did colonoscopies. What a crude way to look for cancer. I mean, it works and you prevent uh, 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 lots of deaths and save lots of lives finding these cancers early, but there's a better way, isn't there? 
Well, um, and again, thank you again. So, Celia, my background is not just as a gastroenterologist, but I was a, a therapeutic gastroenterologist. So I actually did a ton of my work clinically with patients with pancreatic cancer, esophageal cancer, stomach cancer, liver cancer. Um, and, and obviously, in the last 20 years, I've been focused in public health realm on colorectal cancer uh, from a broader communication standpoint. But even though we may have cracked the code in colorectal cancer, and we have, we've made great strides, many of the other cancers, in fact, 70% of the cancers that occur in people have no screening process for them. We only okay. have screening right now for four, breast, cervical, uh, lung, inappropriate people colon, and then prostate for other folks. That leaves 70% of cancers unscreened. And because they present, uh, they're unscreened, they tend to present late with symptoms and then they're advanced and we're already in the you break, I fix cancer paradigm. Yeah, nobody right. wants so to hear that pancreatic cancer. This is cancer the paradigm shift. It is. This is awesome. So um, what? how is it you actually are doing this? What, what are we looking at here? Well, what we're looking at is uh, what's called cell-free DNA technology. And so let me just give you a couple of underpinnings about we, how we've had this paradigm shift happen in the last maybe five or seven years. So first of all, we've unlocked the secrets of the human genome in a, in a multi-decade process where we now understand where proteins and different markers live in the genome. Secondly, the power of the ability to sequence DNA uh, because of uh, sequencing machines, in other words, checking for things you've inherited, doing your 23andMe, all of those uh, types of technologies have incredibly accelerated. And not only have they accelerated in terms of the depth of how we look, but what also has happened, we've sort of discovered this hidden part of genetics that we didn't really even know or get taught about in medical school, which is not the actual code of the genome, but what's called the epigenome. And the epigenome is essentially uh, chemicals and proteins around the DNA code that help to regulate it, turn on certain genes, turn off certain certain genes, and also help your organs differentiate into the organs they are. So, and then the third part of this, as you said, is is intelligence, artificial intelligence, and uh, and again, not only in terms of you know maybe helping us write a chatbot paper, but more importantly. <laughs> to understand and identify very subtle signals based on huge databases that allow us to differentiate cancer from non-cancer in terms of these epigenomic signals, but then also allow us then to uh, go back and hack the methylation, which is one of the epigenomic structures, to identify where in the body that signal's coming from with high accuracy, about nine out of 10 times. So not only cancer, yes, no, but where it is so that can direct our workups. So it's, it's an amazing leap forward. It really is. And it's so important because we're looking at an ever increasing amount of cancer because of the ever increasing amount of toxins that we keep spreading on this planet and the uh, unfortunate but uh, uh, disrupted nutrition cycle because we have an industrial food process that provides us toxics uh, instead of foods. And and so we're seeing that our lifetime risk of cancer keeps going up. Um, and it's actually, you know, heart disease uh, is still the number one killer, but cancer is slowly but surely creeping up on that because we're getting better ways of helping people with uh, heart disease to recover. But the cancers are hidden. I mean, we have um, something like 85% uh, of the cancers aren't screened for, and they account for 70% of the deaths. And so this provides us an opportunity to step into a whole new world because we know if we get it early, 
the patient suffers less, it costs less to deal with it. And we can't afford in our, on our situation to continue expanding the amount of money that we spend on treating cancer that's already advanced. So that we're already expected to be at a quarter of a trillion dollars annually by um, 2030. This, this is not sustainable. Right. Well, and, and, and uh, I'm going to tweak what you said just a little bit. I mean, actually, our peak in cancer was back in uh, the 90s. And so we're actually going down, but not as much as uh, non-cancer causes of death. So they've been really aggressive in cardiovascular disease with cholesterol, particularly smoking reductions, all these things. And, and, and our slope has been slower in the cancer space. That being said, cancer is slated to become the number one cause of death in America, overtaking cardiovascular disease sometime around 2030. So you're absolutely right. The trajectory and, and really, what we've seen for advances in cancer in America, uh, let's face it, it's all been around treatment of advanced stage disease. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, because most cancers in the past haven't had the capacity for screening, they tend to get diagnosed in places like the emergency room when people come in and present with symptoms. And as we know, when a person presents with symptoms, it almost always uh, engages them in long stage disease. And then the other big issue that's going on in the last three years is the dramatic reduction in cancer screenings from the COVID uh, uh, mm -hmm. emergency and the in the in the response to it? You know, we think we're going to have ten thousand at least additional cancers popping up that would have been picked up and uh, 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 you know been able to found early by screening. So we, I think, we're facing a, a a big change. The good news is we have new tools to face it with. Yeah, it's true, and I think this, these changes are ongoing. Um, we're we're not going to. Uh, uh, we're entering the age of pandemics with the amount of population and the shift that's occurring in our, our, our environment. So it's not unlikely that we're going to encounter situations in the future where we, again, have to have less access to more complex testing. This is an easy test to do. And so it will provide us another inroad that will hopefully help prevent uh, uh, another uh, uh, wave of uh, uh, new illness that could have been prevented in another situation like another pandemic. Or, you know, hurricanes and, and global climate changes that disrupt our systems, too. Sure. Yeah, no, we're uh, again, this is a paradigm shift. And I'm so excited to be able to, you know, when we dig in a little bit to sort of go through how that works with people and help help them understand and your physician listeners, too, because this is new technology. This is hot off the press. Absolutely. It's funny. Um, I was, uh, at this conference on the weekend and I was, uh, 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 in New Orleans and, uh, in the, uh, outside of the ballroom where we were, uh, meeting, there's a, a lounge and they have a little jazz combo and there was a family sitting out there and they had a little baby bouncing and he was so adorable. I said, hi. And the woman sitting there saw my name tag and said, Oh, doc. Harvey. And I said, yes. And she asked, what are you all doing? And um, I, I was talking about it and um, uh, they were uh, really interested in um, this new way of looking at things, this, this uh, 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 just a, a not looking at just treating disease, but finding it early, finding root causes and uh, changing it. And we, we do a lot of work with this group uh, because we're very nutritionally oriented with antioxidants. And that's one of the things that you look at. There's a, there's a, uh, we've talked about it on the show numerous times before. Um, methylation. Methylation is a key to keeping our body systems running well. And that's one of the things that you look at in your testing. 
Right. It actually is the primary issue we look at in our testing. And and and, and I think it's it, it's important to sort of understand when you so if you look cl- classic DNA like a BRCA mutation, similar with a breast cancer mutation, there might be a single abnormal base pair in the entire uh genome that's causing that abnormality. Well, you have 30 million methylation sites in your genome, and about a million of those are impactful to cancer. And so just imagine looking for one uh, in 3.2 billion versus looking for a million in 3.2 billion. And that's really what what, what that looks like, is it gives us a, a more pixelated, if you will, a more accurate representation of, of what's going on in there. Because the technology is really fascinating. It, was, it, it spun out in 2015. It was based on uh, non-invasive prenatal testing when women were getting their blood checked to see if they had genetic abnormalities in the placenta or the baby. And about 10 out of 125,000 women had these very abnormal signals that they had not seen the scientists were concerned about the possibility of cancer because it had been thought about and and hypothesized. Turns out that all 10 of those women went on to be diagnosed with cancer, even though all the children were delivered normally. And that technology that we can find fragments of DNA related to, you know, the non-person, right? That cancer Mm -hmm. or that placenta, that's what actually spun off Grails uh, in 2015. It's just brilliant. So I just need to remind everybody that they are listening to the Healthy Steps show on WMNF 88.5 Tampa. Yeah, and I'm going to jack that on up a little bit as well and invite everyone to call on in. We've got a uh, great show dealing with cancer and cancer tests and such. And we've got uh, Dr. Whitney Jones joining us. So give us a call at 813-239-9663. Or continue sending your emails to dj at wmnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. Back to y'all. Thank you. So I um, I have a, a, a caller couldn't stay on the line. But first, I want to set something up. We need to talk about why it is we need this. And let's talk about the failings of single cancer screening tests and why that's not enough for us. Great. Well, I like to consider them the successes that aren't quite big enough for us yet. Uh, We started screening for cancers. uh, And again, I'm a single cancer screening advocate, still am at the national level, because what we've done is we've taken very common cancers, highly common, and those are the ones we focused our screening test on. So pap smears with uh, cervical cancer, uh, colon cancer screening. And so, uh, and lung cancer and breast cancer. So they're all very common screenings, but what there's a couple of issues with them. And, and that's number one, they each have a separate screening uh, test that goes with them that requires committing to a different day and going for a specific piece where you're just looking in that, that, that small area. And so uh, the fact that we only screen for about 30% of cancers leaves that 70% unscreened. The other issue is that Single cancer screenings were really built on very, very high sensitivity, meaning they never wanted to miss anything. But unfortunately, you can't have uh, a high sensitivity as well as high accuracy or what we call specificity. It's impossible to have. So high sensitivity tests cause a lot of false positives. And a lot of false positives, they all have to be evaluated and worked up. So a positive stool test, an abnormal mammogram, an atypical pap smear, 
it doesn't stop there for the patient. That patient needs to then go on and be evaluated. And again, the, the I'm going to introduce a term called the positive predictive value, which is a term we haven't used in cancer very much, which is mm-hmm. what's the likelihood that a person with a positive screening test actually has the cancer that you're looking for, mm-hmm. right, at a population level? And so the positive predictive values of mammograms and stool tests uh, for colorectal cancer and lung cancer are all in single digits. Mm-hmm. Uh, mammography is a little less than 5%, lung cancer about 7%, uh, stool testing, again, in the same issues. The cancer tests that we're talking about bringing on board <clears throat> have a positive predictive value of almost 40 to 45%, depending on the study. So almost a logarithm more predictive in terms of that. And that's because they're based on very, very <clears throat> high levels of specificity, meaning we have very few false positives. Uh, and likewise, when you have a positive test, we're able to identify that. So I think single cancer screenings are great. We yes. encourage people to continue with them because of that high sensitivity. And, and plus, the impact of cervical cancer is just unbelievable, right? I mean, it was yes. the number one cancer killer for women in the 50s in the United States, and now it's a sliver of mortality. Yeah. Thank goodness. So I, I think they have challenges, but multi-cancer screening is not going to replace those. It's going to complement and supplement them. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they are very important. And uh, as you said, though, the high false positive rates an issue. And there's, um, you know, I think it's why we stop. And it is why we stopped doing the the total body CAT scan to look for a problem because it wasn't specific. It would find these things that aren't really anything to worry about. And we'd go on multi thousand dollar painful and very emotionally destru- destructive uh, uh, wild goose chases and still often leave the patient without any sure answer because you know, it, you know, the, the pathologist won't commit to saying it isn't. It's like, oh, well, maybe we should biopsy again. So there's just a lot of trouble there. And also, um, uh, the, some of the tests are, are more complex and, and more expensive. Uh, you know, the, the cost of the BRCA has come down, but still it's, it's not sustainable to keep doing it that way. We need better early screening. And the, uh, uh, one of the, cancers that I know we don't have an early screening test is non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that's what our caller had asked about. Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, What what the GRAIL test is, it identifies these patterns of methylation abnormalities. And really, there's two parts to it. The first is, do we see a cancer signal writ large, like a biological common cancer for signal? And then when we do, a second classifier, and that's what we, we use machine learning and classifier AI, to your point, to then retro-hack their methylation patterns to identify where that cancer signal is coming from. So we do pick up Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphomas. In fact, we pick up, we believe, over 50 different cancer types, uh, including some we not, may not have seen yet because we're picking for that common biological signal of cancer. And cancer, at the end of the day, uh, is a disease of the DNA, right? And so that's really yes. important. And we're going to the source of this. Uh, and I liken it to looking in the light night sky in the old days and with your eyes and then binoculars and then telescopes and then the Hubble. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what's happening into the molecular process utilizing sequencing. So we're able now to really look deeper and deeper and deeper into that cancer pathway and, and have answers that don't just help scientists, but help patients. 
Oh, I like that. James Webb versus the Hubble. Yes, we got much more detail. And it's really interesting uh, uh, that you you know mentioned it's it's all from the DNA. And and here's the key: methylation and DNA are critical. Methylating your DNA protects it. If it's unmethylated, you get problems, and then you end up having mutations. And so your test looks for this chunks of essentially mutated DNA that's signaling this stuff and the methylation signals that come off of that. Is that correct? Well, I, I would say the DNA isn't mutated. It's the methylation patterns are identified that are that are consistent uh, and, and seen with cancer, right? Because it's a little bit, I, I liken it to your, for your listeners, I liken it to a QR code, right? I mean, when you're looking at 100,000 islands with, composed of a million pieces, it's 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 huge. The databases are massive. And again, they're looking for shared signals. And so I when I look at this, I think it's like a QR code where I can't see the difference between the two. But the machine learning classifiers can and, and not only accurately identify cancer, but then also give us those those clues to where uh, it is. So a lot of it's visual. It's, it's, it's easy to easy, more easy to visualize. Sometimes we can we can talk about how to do that. But I think the issue is it's not mutated DNA we're looking at. We're looking at alterations and methylation. Um, so the code of the DNA may be exactly the same. Uh, but we see these methylation patterns that are associated with breast cancers, that are associated with pancreatic cancers, associated with liver, head and neck. And so it's the DNA code can be completely normal, but the methylation patterns and what methylation does for your listeners, it allows certain proteins to be turned on and it turns off other proteins. And in fact, I had never really thought about it. It's pretty funny. It lets you know my, my genetic background and my training early before I did additional. You know, did you ever think about why your retinal cell and your liver cell were so different, even though the DNA code in each cell is exactly the same? Mm-hmm. And the difference is it's the methylation patterns in those cells that tell them to be a retinal cell, tell them to be a liver cell. And it's a whole different conversation going on than we initially thought of. Or I think that at a societal level, we think of DNA. We just think of ACTG, ACTG, Watson and Crick and the, 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 the double helix, right? Yes. A lot more action going on is the point. It really is amazing. And just for a little bit of genetics 101, um, we have our fixed genome. The genes don't change. And it's the epigenome that is the way we play the symphony of our genes. And methylation is how we choose. If you think about it as a Hammond organ, it's the stops and switches. So that you're going to hear one quality and uh, a type of music emanating from the organ if you flip these stops and switches. And you're going to have a completely different sound if you turn those off and turn on some other ones. And that's what methylation does through epigenomics to play our symphony. And it's through so many different pathways that we have the ability to alter methylation, starting with our mood. Breathwork and meditation begins to remethylate the hurting areas in our genome and nutrition and on. We can go through that and removing toxins, etc. But the key is that the it's the methylation that we're looking at here because it's the methylation that gives us the signal that tells us where the cancer might be. And I think that's really, really fascinating. Uh, for a gastroenterologist, we have a, an email and Alexander is asking, what is it that the lactate dehydrogenase tests detect? Well, uh, lactate dehydrogenase is a common enzyme that you find in the blood. And essentially 
We see that when there's cellular uh, damage, uh, particularly cellular lysis. Uh, so, in, you know, we see them in heart attacks. We see them in low flow states. We see them in people who uh, get muscle injury, rhabdomyolysis. Uh, and then there's multiple different subsets of LDH that we sometimes utilize to determine where the organ is. But that's a biomarker, and it's it, it's it's not terribly specific toward any type of cancer. It's just more for cellular destruction. But certainly, you know, when LDHs are sky high and off the roof, you know if someone's had likely an ischemic or a traumatic injury to a, a solid organ. Muscles, liver are the most common, certainly heart to some degree. Uh, so... That's yes. what it is, the biomarker and included on most common SMAs. It's so true. And when we look at these, um, uh, internists, all of us doctors have been trained to actually call these things liver function tests. But that is so far from the reality. When we look at the enzymes in the body and we see the LDH and the AST and the ALT and these liver-related enzymes, if they show up outside the reference range, it doesn't mean we're looking at changes in liver function, we're looking at changes in damage because the only way these things show up in the blood is if liver cells explode and spew their contents into the blood. It's not a good sign to have elevated things. It just means there's a process going on though. We can't specifically diagnose anything with that. And so it makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, here's one that takes it on a completely different tangent. Um, this is from Chris, uh, host of the Liberation radio show. Um, Top cancer expert, Dr. Angus Dalgleish, says aggressive cancers appearing after vaccine boosters are not a coincidence. Um, he is seeing people with stable cancer rapidly progressing after having a booster. Yeah, um, I am not an expert in uh, cancer biology post-booster or post-vaccination, so I'm going to pass on that. My biggest issue is, though, we know we've missed hundreds of thousands, if not millions of cancer screenings prescribed during this last couple of years. And so uh, I, I certainly think that there will be information down uh, down the road, hopefully, that'll um, help us understand how this large vaccination program has impacted this. I think what I can say at this time is if you haven't been screened during the pandemic for breast, cervical, lung, colon, uh, or even prostate, if that's appropriate, skin cancer down in Florida, again, another huge cancer to look for. Mm -hmm. Get back on track with your screenings. Now's the time to get back on board and uh, shake that uh, uh, shake that appointment book off with your doctor and get caught up. And then also, obviously, if you're appropriate age and risks, you know, consider some of these new uh, tests and see whether they're going to be right for you. Because, again, the world is changing right now. It truly is. And I really do appreciate your commitment to public health, as is mine. I agree. We need to get back on track, stay on track, because the key is to one, prevent, two, early detect. And the earlier we detect, the better off we are. If we prevent, we're uh, way ahead of the pack. So you've heard me talk about how we prevent this stuff numerous times, but then we can need step into the, the, the next phase. And I think that there are some really great facts that we can talk about the test in just a second. But I want to remind everybody, since we don't have any, uh, well, I, we just got one caller, but we need to remind people we are on WMNF 88.5. And this is the Healthy Steps radio show. Yes, we've got Clay and, I mean, Chris and Larry on the line. 
And I've got uh, to remind folks that we've got a wonderful show with Dr. Whitney Jones and Dr. Harvey here on the uh, WMNF Healthy Step Show. And you can participate by calling 813-239-9663 or sending an email to dj at wmnf.org. Back to you all. Let me get uh, Chris on the line here. Great. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, uh, Dr. Harvey. You were just reading that article I emailed you, um, or articles I sent you on uh, uh, Dr. Um, Angus Dalgesh, uh, professor of oncology at St. George's, uh, you know, over in the U.K., and, uh, you know, saying that he's seeing those who are getting the COVID boosters, their uh, cancers are recurring, or if they've never had cancers, they're very aggressive. So um, my question is, uh, and I've seen this before going back, over a year with uh, other doctors uh, like Dr. Ryan Cole, Dr. Joseph Fitzgerald. Um, I was wondering, do you test uh, the immune immune systems, uh, the T lymphocyte cells, uh, CD4, CD8 T lymphocyte cells, because uh, what they're reporting is that um, their patients uh, are having their CD4, when they, the, the more shots, the COVID shots they get, the, the lower their CD4 cell, T lymphocyte cell count goes, uh, which um uh, you know, I understand uh, AIDS is clinically diagnosed at 400 or less uh, CD4 T lymphocyte cells. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing in the media that uh, they're raising alarm about more infectious uh, variants. Uh, but Yeah, that's a, it's really a good point. And the thing is, this test doesn't look at lymphocytes. It actually is a completely different kind of test. We're not looking at uh, the immune system. And I'll let Dr. Jones take that a bit and more explain a bit more about it's it's not really trying to diagnose what's happening in your system that way. Right. Well, um, you know, and again, I you know, the, the, this is these are all new and, and incredibly interesting things. And I know that over time science is going to sort this out and we'll eventually uh get the answers to it. But you know, our, our test looks at methylation patterns at cell-free DNA. So it's a snapshot of these these small strands called cell-free DNA. They're only 50 to 150 base pairs long, which is like the DNA codes. And their half-life in your blood is only 30 minutes. So it's absolutely just a snapshot of what's been leaked out from cells and particularly cancer cells uh, in that one moment of that blood draw. And so I really can't comment on, on the impacts of the uh, COVID vaccinations and what that's going to do. I think we have strong evidence that the missed screenings are, are, are uh, leading to more late stage cancers in the ones that we screen for, as well as uh, more cancer deaths in those. However, um, I, I really don't have any any comment on, on on the callers issue, except to say stay tuned. We 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 need to understand uh, we need to understand where we are and where we're going to be in, in order to anticipate it and better inform our patients. And I totally second that. You know, there's a lot of interesting uh, case series, anecdotal type um, information coming in from many different uh, academic clinicians. The thing is, we have yet to find the uh, ongoing clinical study to show that this is actually changing presentation. You know, the stories are really important. We need to follow up on that with actual clinical epidemiologic research to see if this is really making a shift in human health because the, the stories are important. We, we can't let that go. Uh, I'll send you one, Dr. Harvey, um, at least one uh, that I can find right off the bat uh, with Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, um, yes. The, uh, I can maybe... Um, read it on, on the air here. But, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, concerned about the, 
the lowering of our immune systems because that would make us more vulnerable to all germs, bacterial, viral, fungal, and cancer. And, and that's what these doctors are reporting that, uh, you know, even though the media is raising a false alarm about more harmful viruses, but isn't it true, Dr. Harvey, that viruses become more infectious but less harmful? I just think that's, it's the immune system that, that seems to be the down. pattern. That seems to be the pattern that most follow, yes. And so, yeah, we're seeing much more spread of it with a little less impact than it was when it first came out. So, but yes, I agree. The immune system's it, but this is not looking at the immune system. This is a totally different way of predicting what cancer it is and where it is. And I think it's really exciting, Chris, uh, uh, to look at these other things. But thank you for your input today. Um, I think we have another caller. And lastly, that study is uh, just uh, finished. It's titled Innate Immune Suppression by SARS-CoV-2 mRNA Vaccinations, the Role of G-Quadruplexes, Exosomes, and MicroRNAs, uh, authored by Stephanie Seneff, Dr. Peter McCullough, Greg Nye, and uh, Anthony M. Kriakopoulos. So, yeah, Dr. Uh, McCullough is doing some great work. I agree. Yes. You too. All right. Thanks. Take care. Thanks. Have a great day. Okie dokie. Let's go to Larry. He's been waiting patiently. Good morning, Larry. Hey, good morning. Enjoy the show every Monday. Um, my my question is, when I'm on watching TV or radio, there's as many cancer advertisers for cancer um, hospitals as there used to be Marlboro commercials on TV and radio. And it's just, is there that much more cancer? And if that's the fact. Is it because of the toxins we have in our modern society, everything from the air we breathe to the food we eat to the water we drink? Yeah. Well, this is Dr. Jones. It's a great question. And again, if you look at this, this statistics, the peak of cancer in America per 100,000 was actually in 1992. And that's when we were all smoking like fiends. Mm-hmm. We were all getting fatter. You know, we had really toxic air, you know, uh, and, and so, I, you know, cancer is going down per 100,000, but the cancer types are changing, right? I mean, we're seeing more pancreatic cancer, more lung cancer, uh, more liver cancer is going to completely blow up in our faces. Head and neck cancers from changes in our lifestyles and our social behaviors. Uh, I believe Martina Navratilova just was diagnosed. And, and so I, I think the other thing that you're seeing is the fact that, you know, cancer is a big business in the hospital world and particularly treating cancer. And that's really, you know, what we're, we're seeing. I believe you're seeing through the television screen is that important. So I think the key is cancer is still there. It's not going away. Uh, overall, we're making a lot of improvements, but most of the improvements so far have been from smoking cessation, improvements in chemotherapy, which is true, and single cancer screenings. And what we perceive and what I perceive, I think that one of the greatest reductions in burden that we'll see in the next 50 years is going to come from technologies like cell-free DNA and multi-cancer early Mm -hmm. detection, where we can't prevent the cancer, but we can find it at a stage where treatment is much more effective and, and, and maybe more limited, maybe just a surgical procedure, maybe surgery and radiation, but certainly not these, you know, huge, expensive, you know, you know, life altering medications that we're using. And again, I'm, I support those because we're saving lives. But at the end of the day, 
if we're in a you break, I fix mentality for cancer, which is where I think we are. And I'm, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing some of those stores we see out there. Uh, you know, I, I think that that's still great for people who have advanced stage disease. We don't need to stop that, but we need to be able to, 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 to shift the course of the ship to where we're finding cancers earlier. And again, it wasn't that we con- didn't conceptually have this decade ago. We actually just did not have examination and test uh, and the technology to do it. So with this new opportunity that's upon us, the hardest thing I think is going to be able to shift this huge boat of cancer and shift where we've been to where we need to go. I think of it like building a bridge to the future of cancer. You know, we're going to have to make investments. In this case, the investments will be in screening, you know, that improvement of early detections when people have abnormal signals. But in five years from now, I think we'll have a completely different cancer paradigm where many people are getting these cancers diagnosed uh, and, and there still will be a need for advanced cancer treatment. So I'm, I'm supportive of the entire uh, pathway. And I think that this technology, methylation and, and advanced uh, hacking, if you will, of the entire cellular process, I think it will not only help us in early detection, as with the gallery test, I think it'll help us with finding out people who have symptoms. I think it'll help us understand how better to treat people who have cancer. This information is going to be impactful on the entire cancer continuum. It's just a matter of us beginning to to understand it. And by the way, get the studies out there published in peer-reviewed journals so that everybody can see this data and uh, it can begin to get across the finish line in terms of shifting a cancer center from not only advanced treatment, but to early detection and leadership in those areas. Great point. Spot it. Yeah. And you know, the, the toxicity is the key here. Um, and I think the shift we're seeing in the cancers is because we've, you know, we're down to less than 10% people that actually smoke cigarettes at this point. So we've really reduced a huge amount of a real bad toxin that was causing a certain specific group of cancers. But now we continue to pollute our environment and we see the forever chemicals and we see the pesticides causing diabetes and all these things lead to inflammation. That's toxin. a good one. Toxin inflammation. The toxins and inflammation are what cause all this DNA destruction. It changes the methylation. And so there's also another toxin we need to deal with, and that's the lack of love. When we have love, we shift our internal toxicity away from destructive genes. And so we need to share and we need community. And that is one of the biggest things that can shift. And community is on the line right now. Hello, Stephanie. Yes, there we go. Let's get to Stephanie there. Good morning, Stephanie. Okay, I'm here. Can you hear me? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so talking about methylation, and um, you know, a lot of people know now that they have the single nucleotide um, polymorphism for, for methylation, and about how that's key for the epigenetic ex- and expression of DNA. Is it known that, I mean, it would seem kind of logical that if people do have some of those more like homozygous SNPs for methylation, that they might be at a bigger risk for cancer? Is that, a log- is that logical? Is that reasonable? Yep. Is that true? Well, uh, you know, when you talk about SNPs, those are those are uh, known as single nucleotide polymorphisms, and essentially, it's uh, one base pair in your genome that's 
different than other people's. And it doesn't necessarily correlate with turning on and turning off a gene. Uh, it doesn't necessarily relate to methylation. What it does is when you look back and who had cancer and you figure out who had what gene at that site, and then you add up a bunch of those single nucleotide polymorphisms, you get what's called a polygenic risk score. So it doesn't have to do with specific known mutations that turn on or off proteins. It's just an observational pattern of a person's uh, DNA. And so I, I'm not personally aware that uh, a SNPs pattern is directly linked to a methylation piece, but certainly if a SNPs is related to cancer, and we know they are, particularly in breast cancer, uh, where SNPs play a role in certain diagnostic tests, uh, unfortunately, the data is a little skewed towards European uh, women rather than all uh, groups and colors. Uh, I, I'm sure there's a methylation piece in there, but I don't know that I have the specific tag toward it. But SNPs are another way to assess risk, mm -hmm. uh, not to necessarily assess the presence of cancer, uh, which is what the gallery test does. And it does assess the MTHFR gene um, does, when it's mutated, does increase risk. Um, a systemic review, a meta-analysis, which is looking at many studies, data from 50 studies with 19,000 cases uh, and 26,000 controls determined that the MTHFR 6C677T mutation appears to increase the risk for both breast cancer and ovarian cancer, especially among Asian women. And the um, um, uh, TT genotype seems to reduce colorectal cancer. So we have some mixed information. So we can't really determine from one single test whether or not you're going to get cancer or whether or not you have it specifically, except for looking at these whole patterns using AI, like the Grail gallery test does. Mm -hmm. And that can be very predictive. And actually, I think we should touch on that after I say that we are listening to the Healthy Steps radio show on WMNF 88.5 FM Tampa. Absolutely. And that's just a smidgen of the information. We got about 15 more minutes of the show. So I'm encouraging you to give us a call at 813 Two three nine nine six six three. We're experiencing a real dearth of emails, so send emails to dj at wmnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. All right, back to you all. Thank you. I think we do have a caller on the line. We do, as a matter of fact. I'm glad we go to Gwen. Good morning, Gwen. Good morning, Dr. Harvey, Dr. Jones. Good morning. Um, I had spoken with you, Dr. Harvey, maybe two or three months back about, uh, when I drink water on an empty stomach and it would make me feel so sick, you know, and yes. you mentioned that it may be acid reflex. Um, I was wondering, could I, uh, possibly get cancer from my esophagus? because I have acid reflex. Maybe I need to get a screening, you think? Well, I would, um, again, I can't address your specific one, but I would say folks who have issues with uh, acid reflux uh, and any kind of esophageal or swallowing issues certainly deserve to undergo evaluation. Acid reflux is a well-known risk factor for uh, certain types of esophageal cancer, as is smoking as another classic risk factor. So I think if you're having any uh, digestive issues that are unexplained and out of the norm, 
it would seem appropriate to uh, follow up with your doctor and, uh, you know, get his advice and then determine whether or not additional studies uh, would be needed. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. You're so welcome. Have a great day. So, you know, I'm really excited at the fact that you can actually detect so many different cancers with this shared cancer signal. What are some of the cancers that um, might be on some people's minds that are that you can detect with this test? Right. Well, that's that's a great question. And again, uh, I want to I want to lead into this a little bit by our test is designed with very very high specificity, ninety nine point five percent. That means out of a thousand people tested, like any test, we will have false positives. But there's only five out of a thousand tests that are false positives. And so, uh, again, not many people at any given moment have cancer, only about 1% of people. So the real key is not testing so many positives that are false positives that people under get evaluation. So for me, you know, I, I, I can just refer you to the 12 cancers that we look at that are responsible for almost two-thirds of cancer mortality in the United States. And the gallery test has its greatest and highest performance in the most aggressive cancers. That's really important. And the ones that aren't screened for, right? So we're really filling a huge gap, uh, you know, outside of our USPSTF screening. So uh, anal cancer, bladder cancer, we do pick up colon and rectum quite well. Esophageal cancer, to your uh, caller's last point. Uh, head and neck cancers, we pick up 63% of stage one cancer. So generally stage by stage, the more advanced the stage, the higher our pickup is. And also the more aggressive generally a cancer is, the better our pickup is. So we don't pick up a lot of indolent cancers very well, such as thyroid or prostate, because they tend to be very slow growing tumors that don't shed a lot of DNA. But let me add you a couple others in the 12, liver and bile duct. Liver and bile duct, mm. liver cancer is going to be the number one cancer probably in the next decade because of, uh, I love your diabetes. That's the first time I've heard that. So I'm, I don't know if you made that up, but that's really I, I did great. not make that up. I can't take credit. There's a, that's I okay, but I really like that. name, but brilliant. Yeah. So also lung cancers. And again, uh, you know, driven uh, by uh, certain types of cancers, we have better sensitivity in squamous than adeno, but in stage two, stage two lung cancer, which is an imminently treatable disease, we pick up 80% of those cases. You know, that's, uh, that's beyond any other kind of testing. You know, a, 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 a CAT scan of your chest is not recommended, even if you're a smoker, because it's so inadequate. Right. So we pick up lymphomas, uh, ovary and pancreas. And again, we pick up 50 percent of stage one ovary and 80 percent of stage two. And right now our screening for ovarian cancer is zero because we don't have a appropriate right. screening. And then round that out with pancreas. Yeah, people have talked about that CA125, <laughs> and I right. would never recommend that as a screening test. And I don't think you would either. No, I would not. So pancreatic cancer, plasma cell, uh, neoplasms and stomachs. And, and one other thing about our methylation pat, uh, based issue. As we all get older, and you might have discussed this, we all develop these weird little mutations, particularly in our white blood cells called CHIPS. And those are clonal hematopoiesis of indeterminate potential. And because we use methylation, we don't pick up those essentially the vast majority of them are completely benign. So if you're, that's one of the reasons our scientists chose mutation, uh, methylation over mutations, because as we age, we accumulate these as part of the aging process and they don't interfere with what we're looking at. But again, 
the gallery test finds that common cancer signal. So over 50, we've been able to identify. Again, some of them have very high sensitivity. Some of them have lower sensitivity. It's not the same. What is maintained is that very high level of specificity, meaning very, very low false positives. And uh, only about 1% of people who are tested have a positive test. And about half of those people go on to be diagnosed with cancer. The other half, one out of 200, have a false positive. And so the vast majority of people who do a gallery test have negative studies because they don't have cancer at any one time. And by the way, this is meant to be a repetitive test, either annually, we think, or maybe biannually. Let's see where the data comes out. Somewhat like a pap smear. So you're going to get multiple shots on goal to identify some of these cancers. But as I tell people, you know, there is no such thing as a perfect screening test. There will be cancers uh, that we miss and there will be false positives. But uh, again, being able to expand early detection from 30% to 100%, being able to mm-hmm. accurately predict where that cancer signal is coming from, it's a game changer. Exactly. So the first caller that couldn't stay on the line mentioned non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So you can detect that with this test? Absolutely. Fantastic. So they can get some reassurance by um, finding someone to get this test. We have one more caller on the line. Then I'm going to talk about how you access the test and things like that. Bill, do we have Smitty on the line? Yeah, I'm getting to Smitty right now. Hang on. Okay, good. We got Smitty. Hey, Smitty. Uh, I just have some simple layman uh, questions. Uh, is this a blood test or a swab, the galaxy testing procedure? Yep, it's a blood test. Uh, two uh, tubes of blood drawn. Uh, has to be a prescriber, right? It has to be someone with an NPI number who can prescribe it. We do have telemedicine options uh, if you're interested in accessing them, and that'd be gallery.com backslash get the test. Uh, would be the way to access those. But again, you know, we've worked really hard to try to educate physicians. In fact, you guys have noticed you haven't seen anything, any advertisements on television or in print media or on radio because we really are interested in bringing in inclusively our physicians around this uh, before we sort of, uh, you know, open that up to the direct-to-consumer market, which, of course, blows everything up. So we're really working hard. But it is a simple blood test, two tubes of blood, takes 10 days to get back the results and they go to your physician. And then again, 99% of those are negative. Continue your screenings, consider repeating in a year. 1% of those are positives and you need to undergo an appropriate diagnostic workup led by your physician and a team. And uh, how much does this cost? We're not allowed to actually talk about cost on the air. You'll have to actually contact Braille directly. What the hell? This is public radio. Tell people without insurance. That is goofy, Doctor Harvey. No, that's the law. No, it's the law, my friend. We will we will stick within the law today. Well, I'll just say that you know you can get you'll be able to pull that information off of the, the website. I can go shopping. And I can go shopping. Yes, you can. Good luck. I get this. Mitty, have a lovely day, my friend. Have a lovely day. Enjoy it. So um, I think this is really fantastic. I'm so glad I got you on here early in the year because, uh, oh, I forgot to mention, the other part of the story was the the people with the baby outside the uh, uh, lecture hall, the husband was a gynecologist and he said, oh, I know about that, that test because <laughs> I told him what was going to be on the radio show today. He said, 
I haven't done it because I don't want to know. It's like, dude, there's so much we can do for you if we find this stuff out. It's much better to know. And his wife's like, why didn't you tell me about this, honey? Why didn't you tell me about this? <laughs> All right, well, so, I, I think I think that's really interesting. And you bring up a really important point, which is that I think patients have been wondering where this has been in medicine for quite a while. They're like, where have you been, right? I've been watching all this stuff, where's medicine? And I think the physicians, and I love curious and skeptical physicians, right? That's what we should be all the time. Yes. Uh, and not just about new tests, but including new tests and other things like that. So question everything. right now we have a gap between what people are ready for and what physicians are ready for. Right. Because it's sort of going to be a little bit mind blowing to have this completely new technology that does what we never thought could occur. But in fact, it is a reality here. And, you know, we're going to have to figure the way to integrate this in. And again, from, from my standpoint, if this doesn't over time get covered by insurance, get out to people who have disparities, people who have lower access to care, people who has it. We see this as a screening test for everyone that lowers barriers, improves uh, access, and really eliminates some of those disparities. Imagine living in rural places that are all around America or in Alaska, where you can't just go get a colonoscopy or a mammogram. It's hours so away. True. This test is going to revolutionize those folks' uh, ability to get screened for cancer. It's so amazing. Um, and so can you tell us, uh, we're down to the end of the show. This hour has gone so fast. Um, give us some data about where to access it. And oh, I have a question for you. Do you have a uh, physician finder on there that, that um, you have, you know, physicians that actually are prescribing <coughs> it and you also have a telehealth method, right? Right. We have a telehealth, you know, that's gallery.com black slash get the test. Uh, and then in gallery.com, we do have physician finders. Uh, and again, we have a help desk that if you can't locate or because they're growing every every week, if you will, the people who are prescribing, if you can't get some, we'll get in touch with our help desk and we'll help you navigate or uh, have a, a sales rep in your area be able to help you identify folks who are on there. So, yeah, the, the best place to access all this data is gallery.com. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Jones. This has been amazing. And uh, I really appreciate your time. And I'm sure the, the listeners are really going to have some benefit out of this. And I hope some uh, practitioners were listening. Next week, we're going to be doing something exciting once again. I have the developer of another test, um, Dr. Bruce Patterson, who developed the long COVID, also an AI test. It's really brilliant. I'm so excited. And see you all next week. All righty. I'm looking forward to that. It should be a fantastic show, and this certainly was. I enjoyed it very much. So thank you, Dr. Jones, Dr. Harvey. We're looking forward to uh, a great year for you all. You have been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. Coming right on up is 5 Minutes of NPR News, and then get ready for the Sustainable Living Show hosted by the Cracker Jack team of Kenny Coogan and Annie Ellis. And until next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for supporting and listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, your community-conscious radio station. Stay safe, stay thoughtful, and know that you are loved.